Hello and welcome to She's Done Lost Her Mind. In this week's episode, we're going to look into a tragic story from 1984. And um, I think you'll find it rather interesting. And maybe someone out there knows something and can help bring closure. Stay tuned. Hello, it's been a while. (laughs) It's actually been about two months. Um, A lot has happened in those two months. I've moved from Tennessee back to what I consider my home state of Illinois. I was born in California, but we moved to Illinois when I was two. And I lived here in Illinois probably... Oh, heck, I'm trying to think how long, how old I was when we moved out here. Probably around 32, 33 is when I moved away and we lived in Wisconsin. Stayed in Wisconsin 16, 17 years. And then um, I went down to Memphis after my boys moved down there. My youngest um, had moved for his music career. And two years after he moved down, the plan was I would always follow so two years after he went down there, I was able to sell the house and move down there. And so much has happened. Just so much, so much. Um, there's a lot to catch up on with the move and my health and health care and all of that. Um, the things that happened in the last two months, trying to find a rental in this market that's just crazy. Um, but we did it. And we're here. And now, right now, rather than concentrating on some issues that I really, I, um, I will be addressing in future episodes. Um, one, the rental market market is nuts. Okay, and there's I found a lot of stuff that's just pathetic. And I I will be doing a show on for those of you out there looking for rentals, what to look for, what not to look for, and some slimy, just slimy. Cu- slimy, slimy sites, slimy managers, slimy everything. But I really don't want to go there right now because, like I said, it's been very stressful. And then if you've been paying attention to some of my um, past episodes, I've been on a healthcare roller coaster ride for the last couple of years that ended with, geez, uh, the last few months of just specialist, 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 test, test, test. And then I move in the middle of it because I was in a state that didn't have the expansion and I struggled for two and a half years to get insurance. And now I'm in Illinois and Illinois took the expansion. So I'm able to be covered, which is kind of cool. And it was right off the bat and I'm in the process of finding doctors and for more tests and whatnot. But um, we'll get to all of that. It's been a lot of stress. A lot of old issues came up during the two months. I was exposed to some um, toxic behaviors from people close to me. Not in my immediate household, but close to me. And uh, brought back a lot of insecurity. So I took a little time off. Um, But I kicked myself in the butt, and now here I am. So we will be addressing all of that in the near future. But what I'm going to do with this show, this episode tonight, today, whenever you listen to it, 
for me, it's midnight and I'm sitting here in a farmhouse in the middle of rural Illinois. Um, it's midnight, like I said, it's dark. So it's perfect timing for a story like this. Um, it's actually kind of reminds me of what I used to do. When I get stressed out and just life was spiraling out of control or I just... I just needed to divert my mind for a while. I'd get lost in research on the computer. I've always been like a little computer nerd. You know, I I remember dial-up. <laughs> I remember DOS social media. You old folks out there know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, so I've always been a little bit of a computer nerd. And I've always used it as a tool for research. It's just that that's always been my distraction in life. What can I learn about? What can I absorb? What can I do? Those are my distractions. When I need a distraction, that's what I go to. So back in around, I don't know, it was right before my mom died, probably around 2003, 2004, and my now ex-husband, then-husband, was starting to drink again. I needed a lot of distractions just to get through the day. So I would spend my late nights on the computer. And then one night, I had just, I think it was Dateline or it was 2020 or Primetime, one of those shows, did a, a, an episode on an organization called the Doe Network and how they were able to solve a crime. Uh, unsolved murder mystery. And I was fascinated by it. I'm like, Doenecker, that that's cool. How do I do that? And so I searched them out on the internet, found them. And what the Doe Network is, um, they ha- basically are just a warehouse of information. And volunteer crime sleuths go to it. And they have listings of I mean, when I say warehouse of information, it's on there. Listings of unsolved um, missing people um, from and all over the world, too. It's not just the United States. There's other countries involved that they keep track of. And then also unsolved murders um, where they find a body. Sometimes it's not even just a murder. Somebody, you know, maybe somebody got hit by a car and they cannot identify the human being. And they need help. And it's considered unsolved. And so it gets to put in this file. And what crime sleuths do, volunteer, amateur crime sleuths do, is they go on and they try to match up some of those. The missing people with the the unsolved murders or unsolved deaths. And, and then they do their own research. And they search out newspaper archives. They look for all the information they can't. They're just extra eyes and hands. And it's a hobby for a lot of people. There's a reason why uh, (laughs) um, channels out there are geared to women with all these little crime stories. It's because we get into it. We get lost in it. And um, so, yeah, that's when I found them. So it was around 2004, 2005. And right away, I was just captured by it all. and I would spend hours and hours at night going through the different files and looking at things and all the information they have on there and then doing my own little outside research and 
there was a few times I thought I came close and other people, you know, we would discuss it because you can just talk with one another. Or uh, one time you could. And they had message boards. And, you know, it would go from there. And when I, I would freak myself out because <laughs> these stories are sad. They're tragic. You see pictures that you don't normally see in the newspaper. You get information you don't normally get in those newspaper clippings. And they stick with you. It's haunting. And I think there's that part of me that still have questions on why I was a victim of crime throughout my life. Um, Traumatic crime starting in my childhood of being molested and some other things that happened in my life. That my heart goes out to all these stories, all these voices that were silenced and don't have closure. All these families that don't know where where their loved ones are. Or, you know, I would sit there and I would look at some of these files of these unsolved murders, especially the women. You know, I gravitated to the women. And it would break my heart because you could just pick up the sense of sadness or anger or bitterness or whatever. And no justice, no closure. And I think the victim in me bonded with the victim in them. And so when my life gets stressful, sometimes I just go over to the Doe Network late at night when I can't sleep, and I I try to help them find their voice. Um, So this was before I ever worked as a reporter or um, for the Juneau County Messenger in Wisconsin. It was before, I think we'd only lived in Wisconsin a year or two when I found all this. So I was fairly new to that area, and I didn't have a lot of friends up there at that time. I was involved in a few things, but and I was a stay-at-home mom. I took care of my kids, and, you know, so I, I, was, I was that. I had a lot of time on my hands, and I still needed to get involved in my community a little bit more and get to know people. So um, I spent a lot of time on the Doe Network. And I was interested in Wisconsin to see what kind of stories there were in Wisconsin because I wasn't familiar with any of the stories that might have been there because I was spent most of my years in Illinois. You know, I was from the the suburban area of Chicago, and I moved to a rural county in Wisconsin. So I went through some of those files, and there was this one story. Actually, there was a couple, but I'm going to talk about this one tonight. There was this one woman, I saw her picture, I'm like, it was an older woman. And it was from the neighboring county to where I was. I was in Juneau County, and this was, it was in Vernon County. And there was just something about the the artist renditions and, and all that of her that just grabbed me. I I mean... And there was, if I remember right, they had a picture of her um, dead corpse. Those are the type of files that are on there. And when I saw her, um, I don't know, something just grabbed me. And then when, as I, as I read, I learned that she was dumped, literally dumped. And her, her hands were cut off. She was an older, middle-aged woman. And that was in 1984. And 
there really hasn't, I mean, there's been, you know, some information to come out, but not a lot, not a lot, even since that time when I first read it. And um, I've always thought about her. I remember one night I sat there and I just, um, gosh, I think I was six hours searching, like, missing people from 1980 to 1984. And for some reason, I was focused on the West Coast. I don't know why. South, West, Southern Coast, like Lower California. Um, And even there was one in San Francisco, I thought... Man, that might fit. But it ended up it didn't. So her case remains unsolved. And what I'm about to tell you, you know, it might be bothersome. It might pull some triggers out of you. So if this type of stuff is not your stuff, just end this now. Um, So with that, let's get on with the story of the woman with no hands. If you've ever been to um, South Central Wisconsin, you know it's a beautiful area. It's vast, it's rural, it's got rolling hills. Um, It's breathtakingly beautiful. And for me, after I moved up from Chicago to that area, I lived in Juneau County. And this was, like I said before, this was in Vernon County. The whole entire area reminded me, quite frankly, of Germany. <laughs> I, the, the mountains, the rolling hills, and it's, it's, it's gorgeous. Um, and this story will take us to Vernon County. Now, Vernon County is not that large of a county, maybe around 30,000 people. And this little town of Westby. Westby maybe has 2,400, 2,500 people. Uh, It's really quaint. It's one of those towns that you drive through and when you go for those long rides on a Sunday afternoon and you could browse antique shops or go visit Amish stores. And it's it's really a place that kind of just calms your spirit down a little bit and you can relax if you understand what I'm saying. So imagine their surprise. Imagine their surprise back in 1984 when a woman's body was discovered just outside of Westby. She had been beaten to death, teeth knocked out, some of her dentures, and her hands cut off. Now, investigators believe her hands were cut off to prevent identification, which tells me that she probably had a record at some point where she had been fingerprinted in the past. Um, But they don't know. That's all theory. Because as I said before, her story, her voice, what she went through has truly yet to be told. Now, it happened, well, it happened late one night along a road called Old Line Road where a man made no attempt to hide the body. 
No attempt whatsoever. He just dumped her. This was witnessed. He was witnessed, I should say. We believe he's the suspect. Um, driving a little, I believe it was a yellow sports car. A little two-door compact sports car. Two people saw him and um, doing something in that area. And then a little while later, this woman was found just dumped. She was, they believe her to be middle-aged, between 50 and 63, female. She's white. She had brown, graying hair, blue eyes, 5'5", five five and 150 pounds. And that's all we know about her. That is all we know about her. When I first read about her case, they didn't have a lot of information out there at the time. None. And there wasn't a lot to go on. And like I also said in, in, before in the segment that, um, I don't know, something pulled me to the, to the lower West Coast for some reason. And I searched and searched and searched, but there was something about her that just called to me that she probably was from that area. I couldn't find a lot. And there were, like I said, there was a woman in San Francisco who um, had turned up missing that I thought might have been her around the same time, but others thought so too, and it just didn't line up. Uh, investigators did investigate it, and it just, it just didn't line up, unfortunately. Now, I thought about this woman off and on for many years, and I would go... And I would look her, I'm like, I'm looking at her post-mortem photo right now. And it's disturbing the sadness I get from her. She had, you, you can just feel that she had this really hard life. And there was a lot of sadness, a lot of loss. I don't know why I get that from her, but I do. Um... She stuck with me. She still haunts me to this day. And off and on over the years, I would go and I would look and I would see if I could find anything. Um, I would use my critical thinking and my intuitive thinking and come up to many dead ends other than, other than, for some reason, I just really felt she came from the West Coast or the Southwest, in that area, there was just something that told me that's where she was from. Now, fast forward a bit. I'm working at the Messenger newspaper. And from time to time, I would put her story out there a little bit. And every so often, the Vernon County Police Department or Wisconsin's DCI Department of Criminal Investigations would release more information or would remind the public about her. And I'd put all of it in the paper. Now this is going to go back to, let's see, 2015. Um, that was another time that they thought they were going to have more information on her and there was a lot of hope that something was going to happen. Um, I wrote an article about her, and I wrote, last week authorities, this 
This article was dated August 17, 2015, and it appeared in the Juneau County Messenger. I'm reading my rough draft copy that I sent into the paper for that week. Last week, authorities in Vernon County exhumed the body of a woman only known as Jane Doe. They hope to attain DNA that will match other profiles in the DNA database, which will eventually lead to identifying the middle-aged woman who was murdered, including having her hands cut off, only to be thrown into a ditch off of Highway 14 between Westby and Coon Valley. Jane Doe was found on May 4, 1984, between 11.15 p.m. and 11.30 p.m. Three area youth were driving along Old Line Road approximately four miles, eh, four to six. I've had different... I drove out there a couple of times. It's, 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 it's about five miles, actually, of Westby, when they encountered a dead human body lying on, at the side of a gravel road. The youth drove to a nearby farm and reported the, their findings to the Vernon County Sheriff's Department. A patrol deputy was dispatched from Sheriff's Office in Viroqua, and that deputy met the callers near the scene. After a brief discussion, the reporting persons led the deputy to the location of the body. Upon arriving at the body around 11.50 that night, it was just before midnight, the deputy noted vehicle tracks making a U-turn on a freshly graveled road. The body appeared to be of an older female that had been murdered by blunge. Someone kicked the shit out of her head with something. Um, the female's hands were missing after being severed at the wrist. It also appeared that she was not killed where she was found and was likely dumped at the roadside by someone in a short wheelbase vehicle that had made the U-turn. Once officers arrived, the scene was photographed and processed with the assistance of the Wisconsin Crime Laboratory Bureau. After an autopsy was completed, it was determined that the woman died of head injuries. Her dentures, which contained some numbers, had been fractured in the course of being killed. In the following days and weeks, neighborhoods were canvassed, many tips pursued. The investigation was expanded to involve many outside agencies, and the female remained unidentified. The next evening after television reports of the homicide aired, a couple from rural Rusby called and reported seeing something unusual at Cut Across Road near Highway 14 between Westby and Coon Valley. The couple reported seeing a parked, bright yellow, compact car with a man standing outside of it. The man was moving around to the driver's side from the passenger side. It was around 9.45 on that very evening she was found. Investigators checked the area described by the couple, and near some tire tracks, they found a piece of fractured denture, some blood, and a man's Seiko watch. The watch's band had been separated from the watch at one end. The tire tracks had been had been fluffed had ugh, I'm reading, I'm sorry here. The tire tracks had fluffed fluffed up the gravel in apparent rapid acceleration. 
Officers were able to theorize that the suspect had pulled off of U.S. Highway 14 and made an attempt to dump the victim there, when suddenly the couple interrupted them. As he drove away, the tires spun. The car went south, then west on Old Line Road, about three miles, and left the victim where she was found. Now, that wristwatch was examined not only by Wisconsin Crime Laboratory, but also by Seiko. The couple was not able to determine the exact make and model of the compact car, but did identify a bright yellow car associated with a 1982 Dodge Datsun from a color chart. Thousands of state DOT vehicle records and manufacturer archives were examined, but no vehicle of significant interest surfaced at the time. In the following months, in the next two plus decades, over 400 leads to missing females from ages 50 to 65 have been investigated in trying to identify this homicide victim. She remains Jane Doe today. Bulletins have been designed and circulated through police and coroner circles, dental laboratory journals, and cold case groups across the country. The Vernon County Sheriff's Office, as well as law enforcement partners, continue to pursue the identity of Jane Doe and her killer. The Cold Case Unit of the Wisconsin Department of Justice Division of Criminal Investigation, also known as DCI, are again assisting with the investigation. Now that was in 2015. Um, What led to that lovely little article was the police had issued a press release. And it was shocking to me. I remember that day. I was like, oh my God, that's that woman. That's that woman I, 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 I used to think about all the time. So of course, I put her story in the paper along with the pictures, which again, one of them is a post-mortem shot and it's, it's disturbing. It's disturbing, but you get a sense of her with that. Um, since then, which I found extremely interesting when I looked up the case a little while after that, in May of 2018, it was announced that forensic tests on the pollen of the victim's clothing indicated she was possibly native to Arizona or New Mexico or had at least spent time in those states. Now, do you remember me? saying that um, when I first looked up her case, for some reason I was getting Southern California or the Southwest down in that area. And I was, when I, when I read that, I was like, oh my God, my intuition was right about something there. So again, I'm fascinated by this story. I'm fascinated on, on a couple of levels. Um, 50 to 60 years old, why would someone beat her and kill her? Was this her partner? A a child of hers? What could she have done? I mean, you you can tell by looking at her um, photos here. They also have photos of her clothing, which please, please, please 
go to give a click and go to um the site and check it out um on my blog site she had on a blue paisley like dress and a, a tweedish type coat that they believe were handmade um these buttons, uh, a red leather flat shoe, like a rust pumpkin-y kind of color, red shoe. You could tell she was not a woman of means. She didn't have a lot of money. Um, and the coat does look like it was um, handmade. I'm looking at a picture of it right now. and Or it was a very old coat, one of the two. And the buttons had been replaced a few times or something like that. That's all we know about this woman. And it's very disturbing that more information hasn't come out. And part of me wonders, because, you know, when you think about where she was found, I'm talking, this isn't like an area that gets driven through all the time by people from all over. You know, this is rural Wisconsin, you know, um, it has a strong Norwegian, uh, uh, influence around there. Like I said, the Amish are all around. This isn't, it's just, it's not, it's not like it was a suburb in Chicago or a suburb outside of Phoenix or something. This was rural Wisconsin. Why was she there? Who was this man? If that car was familiar to anybody, I'm sure it would have been identified by now. Because I know Juneau County. I know Mawson. Everybody knows everything about everybody. <laughs> they know where you live. They know what kind of car you drive. I mean, if it was somebody from anywhere in that area, she would have been found. Her story would have been told. She probably would have had closure. And somebody be sitting in prison. So who was this person? Whoever man this was. Why were they there? That's the one question that that continually bothers me. Um, There's not a lot there. No offense, Westby. I love your little town. But I, I don't understand why they were there. Where they were coming from. What was their connection to Wisconsin? Did he happen to kill her? Maybe after having a fight on a drive across the country? What's the story? It's so very disturbing looking at this story. And it's, like I said, one that I've never gotten out of my head. So these are the type of stories that are on the Doe Network. Unfortunately, there's not a lot more I can say about this one. Uh, There really isn't, because there's not a lot of information. That's it. That's all we know. Since 1984. I've always gotten that that pull to the southwest in lower California for something about this story. I've always, for some reason, when I go on the computer late at night, I tend to search out those areas for missing people or for stories where I can maybe line up the, the photos and for anything. 
But I always, for some reason, I go to that area and I didn't know why until 2018 when they said that the pollen on her coat comes from that area. So, I don't know, people. I look at her and I just see a very sad woman. And it's it, she haunts me. I have a few cases that haunt me. Hers, Barbara Blackstone's, and a couple other from Juneau County. And we'll be talking about those two and in, in other episodes. That actually I'll have more information. But I wanted to spend this episode talking about um, the Doe Network. It's an amazing organization. It's a nonprofit, and it has these type of stories in it, hundreds, thousands of them, men, women, from decades ago to now. It's constantly updated. It covers the United States, Mexico, Europe, Australia, I think some other countries. They have people from all over the world who have either found dead and are unidentified or who have been missing all these years. And if you're like me, <laughs> you get into murder mysteries to distract from the craziness of your own life, you might want to check them out. And I'm just going to say this again, but be prepared if you do. Because it's not going to be like watching a cable show. It You're going to get from some of these stories some real gory images of, of post-mortem shots. You know, and that's going to stay with you. So only go to the site if you think you can handle it. But... There's a lot of people on there working to solve these crimes and help law enforcement. You know, there's a part of me hoping with DNA that something's going to pop up one day. I've been I've been watching a lot of shows lately and um, some news shows about this one woman who, who through like you know ancestry dot com you can get your DNA and you can see who your relatives are and were and where they came from. She's been using that to help solve unsolved crimes by connecting the DNA to relatives that are alive who might know or maybe don't even know who this one is, but you can, um, it's a process of elimination. So I have a lot of hope for this story that one day she's, she's going to, finally get her story told and have her voice out there and maybe some closure at least we'll know her name it's not going to be Jane Doe anymore and I think that's important truth is so important closure is so important for victims of crime and their loved ones so hopefully so that's my little kick in the butt. I'm getting back out there and I'm going to be doing podcasts. And I'm going to be sharing more of my little hobbies that I have that a lot of people don't realize I do because <laughs> they're kind of odd. But 
this is one of them. I like to to delve into unsolved murder mysteries and see what I can figure out. And there's quite a few stories out there. We're also going to be revisiting the Barbara Blackstone story. Um, if you look at some of my prior posts, especially on my Chewed Up, Spat Out blog, thankfully Chewed Up, Spat Out blog, you will find a lot on Barbara Blackstone because she's another one that's just haunted me. She was a teacher from New Lisbon, Wisconsin. She lived in Linden Station, Wisconsin. And in 1989, she came up missing. It was summer of 1989, and she was found um, a month later, 70 miles away, in a forest. Forest. Like, woodsy area off a farm. And um, her case I've dwelled in quite a bit. And every year she kind of haunts me too. If if you know me and I start playing James Taylor, I'm thinking about Barbara Blackstone. For some reason, I connect James Taylor to Barbara Blackstone. Um, so we're going to revisit her case too. And there's a couple more, like I said, from Juneau County I want to take a look at that I've looked at over the years. And then there's cases outside of Juneau County. I was on the Doe Network the other night and I was just flipping through all the photos of um, unidentified um, murder victims, females. And there was one from 1979 that just, as soon as I saw her, I don't know, she spoke to me. So I'm going to start looking into her case a little bit. And I'll, I'll share what I find with everybody as I find it. And who knows? I'll probably get distracted and find another one. But this is how I relax. <laughs> I know it's a little odd. But finding truths and sharing stories and giving victims voices is incredibly important. It's, it's, it's my life's, part of my life's work. Um, so look forward to more unsolved crime stories. Be sure to visit the Doe Network. Let me pull them up here. I'm not sure if it's .org or .com. Hold on a second. I, I want to make sure I give out good information here. It is .org, and um, now they they are called the International Center for Unidentified and Missing Persons. Back then, when I first started, they they they're okay. When you go to their site, be prepared to maneuver it a little bit. It might be a little difficult. It's it's more of an older site. Um, it's it's not really mobile friendly. I had trouble on my phone the other night. I I prefer just being on a desktop to when I do go on it. But check it out. Who knows? Maybe you'll 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 give a victim closure and tell their story, and they'll no longer be Jane Doe. And that's kind of cool. I'm going to read to you what they say on their site. Welcome to the Doe Network. The Doe Network is a 100% volunteer organization devoted to assisting investigating agencies and bringing closure to national and international cold cases concerning missing and identified persons. It is our mission to give the nameless back their names and return the missing to their families. We hope to accomplish this mission in three ways, by providing exposure to these cases on our website, by providing credible potential matches between missing and unidentified persons to investigating agencies, and by striving to get as much 
much needed and deserved media exposure to these cases. We reserve, we, we, we receive and accept tips regarding cases featured on our site. All relevant information will be forwarded to the proper investigating agencies. While Dole Network values your privacy, we will respond to court orders and or requests made by investigating agencies in a timely manner regarding visitor information. We are not private detectives. No, this is all amateur stuff here, hon. So, but you know what? Sometimes these amateurs are just natural detectives. Members within our organization work together, utilizing individual skill sets to ensure the success of our mission. Our volunteers and the users of our site are very important to us, and any feedback to improve this site is graciously accepted. They also take donations, and they are a nonprofit site. They, they started in 2001, so I learned about them, like I said, it was in the early 2000s when I just moved to Wisconsin. So that, like, it was probably around 2002, 2003. I don't know. It was, it was 2004 in that area. Um, there are so many cases on here. So if you are like me and believe victims need a voice and their stories need exposure, then please go to the doughnetwork.org and see if this is something you think you'd like to involve yourself in every so often. But be prepared. The pictures are haunting. The stories are haunting. And they will stay with you. So, that is this episode. I thank everybody for listening. I appreciate any and all support. I'm getting back on my feet, hopefully, with um, healthcare and insurance and so we're settling into Illinois and um, going to be moving forward as much as possible. I got a lot of big plans. I'm a very, I'm a type of reach for the stars person. So um, I'm not ready to be totally disabled yet. <laughs> I, I, I want to keep trying to earn my own way in life. So this is how I'm doing it. I am doing it with this podcast. I am reselling on uh, eBay under She's Done Lost Her Mind, eBay and other places, and, I, and I'm doing crafts and arts that I'm, I'm going to be selling at vendor events in the near future. Um, while I do that, I am also going to utilize my project when I became free and reach out to victims, survivors of domestic violence, sexual assault, childhood trauma, and give them an avenue to tell their story. I used to write their stories. I can't do that anymore. My fingers don't work like they did. So um, I will utilize the podcast to tell these stories. And if you're a person who wants to share your story, please contact me. You can write me at she's done lost her mind at gmail.com. Drop me an email. And let's talk. I am also looking for stories for people in my situation. I had worked my entire life, whether it was a volunteer, stay-at-home mom, actual jobs. <laughs> I have always been a productive member of society. And here I am sick, and it took me a lot to get the simplest of health care in this country. There was nothing available to me. Um, 
I fought two and a half years and my health failed because of it. And now I'm trying to get it back. There's a lot of people out there in my situation. There's a lot of people out there who have applied for social security disability and who are in that battle to get benefits that they paid into. And that process alone is deadly. Because like me, they don't always have insurance. Like me, they don't always have the health care that they need. And they're stuck in this vacuum of just a broken system. And they sit, they wait to die, spiritually and physically. And we can do better in this country. So I want to hear those stories too. I want this She's Done Lost Her Mind to be an avenue for people just to put it out there. Let's talk about this stuff. Put it out there and maybe we can create awareness and changes and change people's attitudes too. Um, I had a situation. I'm going to give you a, I'm not going to say who it was or anything like that. They know who they were. But in the process of looking for these rentals, I had I had come to Illinois a little earlier than the rest of everybody, me and my, my oldest child, and we were the ones going around looking at the rentals and just dealing with the nightmare of the rental market. And unfortunately, I can't walk like I used to. I can't do stairs and stuff. And I was with this other person, and we were driving, and I was explaining all that. And really snidely, they turned me and they said, well, then you should go on assisted living cut me to the core because it was a snarky response to somebody trying and this is something that people in my situation deal with all the time so we are going to have a show about that uh, attitudes that we're up against and what it does to our soul it just it's it's really hard um especially especially if you are somebody from childhood trauma and you have those high adverse childhood trauma scores, otherwise known as ACE scores, and your illness is probably connected to everything you've been through in life, it almost feels like a re-victimization. So I had to deal with a lot of emotions from that because this person said it to me not once, not twice, but three times. (laughs) And it was very hurtful. And I, I had to deal with a lot of insecurities. And so I'm back, guys. It took a bit. I'm back, and we're going to stay powerful, we're going to stay strong, and we're going to stay a voice. I went long-winded. If you would like to support me in my endeavors here, because I don't do ads on this thing, it's just me talking to all of you. Um, So donations are kindly accepted. They help keep me going. They help me pay off some mighty high... um, Medical bills I acquired in, in Tennessee, even though right before I left, I did manage to get insurance because I told them I was working. And my work was she's done lost her mind. So I was able to get insurance through the ACA in Tennessee, even though they didn't take the expansion. I, I was able to buy my insurance, which wasn't fun, but um, I had a high deductible and all that. And so I'm paying all that off right now, too, because I racked up over... Nine thousand dollars 
in medical bills and um I probably owe about seventeen hundred right now for my um out of pocket. So we're paying all that off. So anything if you if you enjoy these little these little ramblings of mine in these podcasts, consider donating. On PayPal, I'm at she's done lost her mind at gmail.com. Anything is is will benefit us right now. Um plus the move was hard. We're we're running on fumes here. It was hard for all of us. You try moving COVID with everything going on and it's it's very difficult out there right now. So that is that. If you have any suggestions for the show or that you know of a, a mystery, an unsolved mystery that you would like me to kind of dig my heels into a little bit, let me know. Look at some of my past episodes. I think I did um, Nevaeh Buchanan was one that I did right before I took that little break. Go ahead and go listen to that story because that's another one that I'm not going to let just fall by the wayside. I will constantly talk about it because it needs to be solved too. And with that, I am going to leave you for this night. I'm going to get some sleep. It's been a long day. And I'm glad that I finally found my voice and I'm back out there. We'll get stronger and stronger every day. So with that, thank you for listening to She's Done Lost Her Mind.